What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. You're dead meat! Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little glasses of business, they're dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, your horror safe haven. Stop, Molly, you. <laughs> I'm Chelsea. <laughs> and I'm James, and that's licky-ass Molly. Just licky Molly. She's He's licking, not even just my hand, but like my sleeves, and then it gets them all. Then she'll just lick the air if you move away. Yeah. She's, I don't know why she does this. Why does the dog lick a lot? Tell us. Why does our dog lick the air? <laughs> well, we're back from Silver Scream Con. Yeah. In, I mean, basically, it's Boston. We're yeah, in Danvers, just yeah, just Massachusetts. Um, we forgot to both attempt to draw the East Coast from memory. Oh, yeah. We got to do that. I really want to do that because mm. while we were in Massachusetts, people kept saying they were from Connecticut, New Jersey, Delaware, and we would be like, oh, that's this far, right? And they're like, no. no. And that's only like an hour away. What do you... Yeah, so we realized neither of us know what the East Coast looks like. It doesn't help me that I keep mixing up Massachusetts and Maryland. Yeah. They're both states that start with MA. I was never good at geography. And the, both their biggest su- cities start with B. Baltimore, Boston. Mm. Well, don't look at me like that. It's not like I spent any fucking time on the East Coast. Yeah, this... I've only been to the East Coast a couple times. Yeah. And it's... Molly, you gotta stop. You gotta stop. But it was great to see all those East Coast fans. So many of them were like, I would never thought I'd get to meet you because you're only ever in LA. And we're like, sorry. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We're trying to do more mm-hmm. not LA conventions. So keep an eye out. Maybe even some overseas because then it'd be a free vacation for we us. We really want or to Or a free that. trip. We'll yeah. still be working the convention. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot of work. But it's fun. We'd have to make more time to actually go see stuff. Because yes. I wanted to go to Salem and there was no time. I know. Everyone's like, hey, are you enjoying Boston and Salem? Like, and we're I'm like, enjoying I don't know, the man. convention center. <laughs> we, we landed, got bagged, driven to the, the hotel, and we never left. People were saying it was raining outside. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Our life was inside that hotel ballroom. Mm-hmm. It was all in one. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was great, though. Best convention we've it was ever a lot been of to. Fun, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Yeah, I feel like every night after the convention with all the guests and stuff hanging out felt like going to Red Robin or something after like a dance competition or like, I, I guess for you, musical theater, like mm-hmm. after a show. Yeah. Just that energy. I was up till 3 a.m., then 4.30 a.m. Like I was out there late. I'm still catching up on sleep from that convention, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. It was good. But... Now we're going to talk about kids killing killing each other. (laughs) We were going to do this the week before Silver Scream, but it was just too busy trying to prep for that convention. We're going to do it now. The downside of that being that it's been uh, how long? A couple of weeks since we watched watched this movie. Although we had both seen it before. Yeah, this wasn't our first time. And every time I watch this movie, I like it more. I do too. Because this is a movie, uh, Battle Royale, came out in... 2000 it is a japanese movie it's it's the original death game movie i would say i i think so as far as i know it is the when hunger games came out people were like yo this is just battle royale Royale, i'm pretty sure Susie was like nope never read it or never saw it come on Susie. come on come on Susie. especially because the second hunger games i think is that the one with the clock I think it's the clock layout. This the Battle Royale also has danger zones where every hour, if you're in that area, 
your your, your collar blows up. Exploded. Uh, Belko experiment, very similar to Battle Royale, even down to the collars with the exploding. Like all death games, it's impossible not to yeah, have like some inspiration. Yeah, like Alice in Borderland, which I watched few episodes yeah you didn't finish you didn't like it squid game though but they have the like explode the the okay yeah yeah it's all that that traumatizing ethical questions of like what do you do when you're forced to kill or be killed uh only here the thing about battle royale is it's a bunch of middle schoolers Mm -hmm. that's the thing like hunger games is they're older kids generally i think rue was like a more like this age but this is a class of middle school kids yeah i was reading that apparently there's only a few actors in this that were anywhere close to that but age the lead uh uh girl She's 15. The actress was 15. I think she's one of the only ones. Yeah, she was one of the only ones who was actually 15 or 16. One of the the quote-unquote exchange students was Mm -hmm. like 25 or something. I think both of them were. Oh, really? Yeah, the two. I think they were were meant to be like high schoolers too, so it made sense that they were older. Yeah. Yeah. This movie was very controversial. It came out. It was based on a book. And the director is like a huge Japanese director. Kinji Fukasaku. Kinji Fukasaku, who was like 70-something when he made this. He was older, yeah. Or 69. I was reading about him and he um was a teenager during world war ii that's right he was a munitions like loader factory yeah yeah that got bombed didn't Mm -hmm. it and like half his the other kids working there died yeah like he i think it's 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 in the wikipedia for battle royale but he talks about like having to carry corpses of his friends and Uh realizing that the japanese government was lying to them and became very mistrustful of adults Mm -hmm. and that had this uh, anger towards adults, the older generation. Yeah, adults in authority. And which, it's such a good mirror for this. Yeah, because he, he, then he read the book, and uh, I believe his son wrote the screenplay, Kenta Fukusaku, mm-hmm. uh, also directed the sequel that I've never seen, because this oh, yeah, director the started the sequel and then died at age 73, like right after mm-hmm. starting to direct it, so his son took over. But I haven't seen it. I don't know if it's well-regarded or not, but uh, this, for like... You wouldn't expect this movie to be made by, like, a director at the end of his career. Mm-hmm. You know? This, yeah, you're <laughs> right. This does feel like if if you had me guess, I would have guessed this was a younger, edgy director. Like uh, Takashi Miike. Uh, yeah. Who, like, I think he was probably in his early 30s when he started doing his stuff. Yeah. It's something like that. Like, one of the... This guy's, like, late 60s mm-hmm. directing this very... Very controversial violent film with a lot of things to say uh when it comes to like very stylized too that's the thing is it's very melodramatic uh the very sweeping shots and zooms and the music especially just feels like it's straight out of a i don't know it's some grand epic adventure yeah there's it's orchestral parallels i would say this would be such a great double feature with house because hmm. House also is a that director was also older when he made House, and he also was I think like a teenager during World War II. He has vivid memories of it, and that really informed that movie. And that movie also is kind of weird and soapy, and has this like really saccharine score yeah. that seems almost out of place sometimes. Granted, House is a lot more surreal yeah. than Battle Royale, and Battle Royale is pretty surreal, so that's saying something. But Gets more surreal at the end, I'd mm-hmm. say. Um, 
it's it's very actiony. There's a lot of uh, shooting and running and and just like dramatic music, sprays and of blood, sprays and it of makes yeah, so much sense everywhere. that Tarantino loves this movie. Tarantino course, called it his favorite movie of the past two decades in like 2009. Yeah, I think. like of course, uh, yeah, that the hundred percent tracks. But the thing is, this movie comes out in uh, 2000, I think, uh, in Japan, mm-hmm. and they do not send it to the United States. The, um, I don't know how to pronounce it, Toy Company refused to sell the film to the United States because they were worried about getting sued. Because this was right after Columbine, too. It was, yes. So kids killing each other, not the most favorable topic to have in a film. Right. And uh, yeah, this movie was unavailable in the United States until I think 2010. It's, yeah. When Anchor Bay picked it up. So I feel like dec- I saw it before well, that somehow. How did I see Savvy, it? Savvy edgelord kids who knew how to use the internet like us would have downloaded this okay. through P2P networks because I definitely I watched this in 2005. I think I got it from a friend. Yeah, we we downloaded it at a LAN party and we all watched it. I'm like, it was probably like a fucking 480, if that, pixel-sized video. This was such a word of mouth thing, I think. It was. Among it was like, if you, people heard, if you heard of Battle Royale, Yeah, yeah, like, up, especially like, if you were a little nerd other. who liked movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were all abuzz about this thing. Yeah, so I definitely watched it before it was a, a legally available in the United States. Yeah. Sounds like you did, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I don't remember my impression of it as a kid. I know that, like, later when I watched it, I was like, oh, this is kind of cheesy, uh, I felt, but like I said, every time I watch it, I like it more and more because I, I get it more. I understand it more. I think when I first saw it, I was more horrified by just the premise of it. And I think on repeated viewings, I maybe notice more of the not silly elements. I mean, I guess some of it's kind of silly, but A just bit, yeah. more of the over the top elements and how kind of cartoonish it is yeah because it's funny sometimes it is it's funny even though it's about 40 kids being forced to kill each other on an island because the country has been overrun with juvenile delinquency well you've got takishi kitano who that's the thing he (laughs) he's definitely like he in japan he's like a, a comedic actor yeah so in this movie it's I'm trying to think of like a comparable, like an American actor to com- maybe like a Brian Cranston, where he was known for being kind of funny, and then mm. Breaking Bad is this. I don't know. It's not the same, but yeah, yeah. I I feel like I know that you haven't seen Stitches, but I, I know that it kind of has a similar thing at play because it stars Ross Noble, who is a uh, English stand-up comedian but he is the killer clown in that movie. Okay. And uh, Stitches is funny, but it's a very dry, mean sense of humor. That's, Similar yeah. to hear how uh, uh, Takeshi is a, he's funny in a very dark, dry way, yeah. but he's also making these kids kill each other. Because if you're, if you're watching this and thinking like, why does that guy look familiar? Yeah, Takeshi Kitano. Why does that teacher look familiar? Uh, if you were American <laughs> and watched Most Extreme Elimination Challenge on Spike TV, <laughs> or if you uh, grew up in other parts of the world, particularly Japan, and watched Takeshi's Castle, yeah, this is a uh, Takeshi of Takeshi's Castle. Is it Takeshi or Takeshi? I don't know. I'm I think it's Takeshi. Takeshi? Yeah, maybe. One we, of us, we're going to butcher one these One of names. us is pronouncing it wrong. So apologies um, in advance. <laughs> but he's 
what is his name on MXC? It's either Vic Romano or Kenny Blankenship. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know. I only have M- or Takeshi's Castle here. Okay. Uh, which was what? Like repurposed? Like the footage was yeah, repurposed? Yeah, I guess Spike TV, they got all the like old Takeshi's Castle episodes and mm-hmm. like re-edited them and dubbed over them. And I was obsessed with it. When that was airing in the maybe what late nineties, early two thousands. That sounds right. Yeah. Oh, he's also known as Beat Takeshi. Beat Takeshi. Yeah, I've heard that for sure. Yeah. yeah. Also, Takeshi's Castle has a new version. Of yes, it it's that a we new it's a reboot. And and Takeshi's kind of in it. Yeah, he, he's his he, voice. His voice is in it. He voices this big like AI version of himself. It's very funny. Yeah, it's just a big like hologram head. It's it's not it's streaming on Amazon Prime. Big recommend. It's so. Like, if you just want something silly and happy to watch, I think each episode's about an hour, and it's just people doing these extremely difficult obstacle courses, and they're all very colorful, and everyone is just getting their ass kicked by these things and falling into, like, dirty water. (laughs) And everyone's so happy to be there because it's a reboot of this beloved show. Yeah. It just seems like everyone's having a lot of fun. I don't know if Takeshi's Castle would be struck. Uh, it's it's a Japanese production. There's no production, way. But we have confirmed that Battle Royale, that's why we're discussing it, is not struck. Right. We are, the, the list of movies we can cover grows every week as we send a list to our contact at SAG, and they tell us which ones are fine. Uh, it's been growing, so... You know, got some more uh, foreign films on there mm-hmm. that we can discuss in a number of ways, whether it's on Patreon or on the Kill Count or on the podcast. So we've yeah. got options. Mm-hmm. We also have talked about Battle Royale briefly before years ago at this point on the podcast in our Creepy Kids That's episodes. Right. It's a two-parter. I think we talk about foreign films in the second part because we talk about the J-horror phenomenon of creepy kids like Samara slash Sadako, uh, The Grudge, mm-hmm. and also why those movies in particular were the ones that Americans wanted to remake so badly, the ones with weird little kids in them. Uh, but we talk about, Molly, what are you doing? She's sniffing. It's She's fine. sniffing. She just sounds like a little piggy. Like, like. Papo in the room. Yeah. <laughs> we, but we talked a little bit about the what was going on in Japan during the 90s that kind of led to those films being made or influenced those films, rather. And the economic boom uh, of the 80s in mm-hmm. Japan, so that's like a tech boom, followed by the bust of the 90s. The lost decade, The right? lost decade, yeah. And there was this crazy increase in youth crimes, although I thought it was kind of um, morbidly funny that multiple articles that I found from around the same time were like, these statistics pale in comparison to the United States, but for the Japanese, this is very scary and different. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, Americans are used to it. Our kids are fucked up. But for Japan, this is very novel and frightening. So they're making movies and art about it because it's weird and scary. But yeah, there was this, this economic bust and it was just a bunch of these a bunch of different factors coming to a head. It was like lack of employment opportunities. Um, The kind of end result of this really intense school system that was just so kind of like end result focused Mm. on like basically just, you know, training students to be future employees. Um, And 
where that leaves all these kids who basically have tortured themselves in school uh, to succeed and then graduating and there's nothing for them. The kind of shift from like more of a communal life to the individual, like more nuclear family. You've got parents working. Of course, one of these articles blames video games because that's <laughs> everyone was blaming video games in the 90s for all of their problems. Yeah, I mean, and Battle Royale begins with setting the scenario of the nation's collapsed. It has 15% employment. So they passed the Millennium Education Reform Act which is basically uh, Hunger Games. It's it's going to mm-hmm. take a class of kids and make them do this battle royale as a way of punishment and a determent for them to uh, quit being a little shit. Although in battle royale, it is not televised. It is not. No, it happens. It takes place on this island. Yeah, which is interesting because when they bring the class in the movie to the island, none of them know what the fuck's going on. No, they think they're going on a field trip. Right. And the teacher even asked them, like, are any are you familiar with this law? And none of them are, even though it seems like this thing that they should all be fucking terrified. They should definitely of. know about, but maybe it's because they don't go to school. Well that's also pay attention. kind of, you know, that's like, oh, kids don't pay attention to the news or kids don't pay, you know, yeah. like that's a thing. Yeah. It's not even kids. People in general don't pay attention to shit that affects them directly. Takeshi was their teacher. Yes. Until uh, he walked into class one day and they wrote on the board, taking the day off because we want to. And then he left and got slashed by this little fucker named uh, Nobu with mm-hmm. a knife. And so he quit teaching. So they had a new teacher who uh, objected to them being used as a as the Battle Royale, and that teacher got killed. That also was part of this, like, kind of crime, this youth crime wave in the 90s with students going after teachers. Wow. There was an article. I have, I'll link all my sources uh, in the description below, but one article was talking about how um, some students, I believe someone interviewed students who, uh, for a book, yeah, okay, it was a book called We Struck Our Teachers <laughs> by... <laughs> uh, uh, Yuji Ikuye, who interviewed a bunch of students who, like, attacked their teachers at one point. All of them, he wrote, this is a direct quote, had been struck at one time or another by their teachers, and none of them regretted having struck teachers themselves. So it sounds like corporal punishment was very normal. Mm. And I think that's something that... Uh, Takeshi's character complains about in this movie. He's like, you can't hit kids anymore. Yeah. Um, They're also, it's interesting that he's kind of this older male figure. He seems kind of, he's like a sad guy. He's a sad guy and he has a fixation on, uh, what's her name? Nakagawa. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who is the main female character who we follow, who uh, she is like a good student. Yeah. She showed up to class that day when everyone else took off, and he has a soft spot for her because of that. Yeah. Uh, but we do hear... We watched the special edition, which is, I think, a director's no, cut. No, with it, more basketball. <laughs> more basketball and a few more scenes where, like, you hear the conversation between Takeshi and uh, uh, Nakagawa, and he obviously has a affection for her and it's kind of ambiguous i think of whether it's more of a inappropriate i i don't read it that it's definitely it's hard to say because there's cultural differences but i don't think it is sexual because i think isn't the last line of the version we watched something like 
how can or what what's an adult supposed to say to a kid in this situation yeah something like that yeah. i don't know it's i don't read him as sexual maybe other people do and i'm open to that interpretation because i'm not like i mean he draw, he draw uh, well, i guess we're in the spoiler well yeah he makes now. a that mural a mural of where... all the dead students like all the it's like little cartoon versions of all the students murdering each other and then it's her in the middle very yeah, angelic yes. and she's the ultimate student because she's the only one who came to class mm-hmm. and uh what was interesting is in one of these articles apparently there was a phenomenon uh called uncle hunting in the in the 90s Jeez, japanese what? youth gangs um would single out lone men going home and and pounce on them to steal his wallet but also just for the thrill of it and i kind of that reminded me a lot of yeah. Students showing up to just fucking slash at this teacher Jesus. and then leave. It's like the knockout game. It, right? Yeah. Fucking youths, man. <laughs> I'm all for a little youth rebellion, but not if it's attacking people. Well, what's interesting is these instances, this rise in youth violence isn't totally unique to the 90s either. Because apparently, and I need to go, I'm flipping through my papers now. That peak of crime in the 90s was the second big one after a peak that occurred right after World War II. There was another peak in 1948 of youth youth crimes. Yes, after the destitution of World War II. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is, remember, we talked about the age of the director of this movie. He Mm. would have been 15 in 1945. So he's of the generation that at one point he was the kid where all the adults are looking at his generation and thinking like these youths. Yeah. We, we, they're beyond saving and mm-hmm. they're responsible for everything. You know, there's our future is at stake here because the kids are just not okay. But that's the background in which this movie was released, the mm-hmm. cultural context. So it's not just senseless violence. It's, it's speaking to a then current issue mm-hmm. in the country. So uh, I can understand why they'd be hesitant to export it to other countries that mm-hmm. maybe weren't familiar with what was going on there. But it's definitely not just um, violence for the sake of it. It's a really well-made movie, mm-hmm. has a lot to say. Yeah, and I'm sure for someone like this director, the violence in this movie pales in comparison to stuff he saw in real life. Yeah. That's often, especially filmmakers of a certain age and demographic, like, filmmakers who maybe have seen war before or I don't know grew up in a certain place their movies are often just reflective of things that they've experienced or maybe a way of processing it yeah or just a a heightened version of that so yeah the kids are gassed on a school bus they're driven through like the cabin in the woods tunnel Mm -hmm. come out to uh they're in a classroom they wake up in a classroom very what's cool is re-watching this because i'm working on the danganronpa kill count Mm -hmm. and danganronpa would not exist if battle royal didn't exist so many things that you like would not exist if this movie didn't exist it's so cool and yeah just the entire death game genre and danganronpa that is literally we're getting gassed he's waking up in a classroom it's just like that wow oh yeah (laughs) do they have a little tv explanation of everything Everything going on? No, they have a robot bear. Oh, okay, is that come guy? Do. Although he does show up on a little TV okay. to wake them up every day and tell them when it's time to go to sleep. Yeah, and to announce when a body's been found. <laughs> well, Takeshi's doing all that. Yeah, mm-hmm. he he comes out and he but he rolls in a little TV like it's a substitute teacher. Yeah, right. Normally it's very exciting when the rolling <laughs> TV cart. Does that exist anymore? The rolling no TV fucking cart? way. No, they I'm don't sure, have the giant. No, I'm sure every classroom just has a. A flat, flat screen. screen on the wall, 
and oh, they just I'm plug sorry into that it. they don't kids have projectors. Today don't I bet. get the high of hearing the wheels come down, and then oh my god, they're bringing in the TV. <laughs> yeah, but this TV is the explainer of how they're all going to have to kill each other on an island. Yes, that is with one of my favorite little characters in this movie. She's fucking great. The battle royale, the the mascot almost. She, I want to dress as her for a convention it's so bad. I've cosplay. never seen anyone do it, and I think it's such a good specific costume. She's got like a. She's like a cutesy little military. Like short shorts. Yeah, uh, like an little... orange shirt that has like BR in that awful, um, like it's not Joker Man font. It's like <laughs> one of the other default Microsoft fonts that has it's like BattleRoyale.com. Does she have it. like a little fanny pack? Yeah. And, uh-huh. Yeah, like maybe pigtails or a little hat. Very 2000s camo um, mm-hmm. like page boy hat. <laughs> And she's telling you all about the rules of Battle Royale. And she's super adorable. And like the most cutesy way of uh-huh. like, oh, make sure that you're out of the danger zones when the hour's up or else you'll yeah. die. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be in a danger zone when this goes off. Like, it's just, it's so, and it's great because it's almost like a theme park video yeah. where there's little pauses for the teacher to react talk yeah. to the TV. He's like, oh, it's and he's like, like clapping. Dude, he's, <laughs> you know what it's like is it's like, uh, on that new Mickey's Runaway Railroad where Goofy is talking to the employee and is like, oh no, uh, hey, you right there. Yes, Goofy, do you want to help my friends get on the train? And blah, blah. Okay, Goofy. It's it's like that. And we it's... rode that ride twice and both times the employees were fucking <laughs> done with it. They're like, yes, Goofy. I liked it. Okay, Goofy. <laughs> okay, Goofy. <laughs> Goofy's the funniest character to have a very low energy interaction with. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely the biggest contrast. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, and that's part of the comedy is Takeshi fucking, she's like, hello. And he's like, hello. Yeah, like, oh, hello. <laughs> but also that's, it makes this whole sequence scarier because it it's so cutesy it's very unsettling. and matter of fact. And, oh, aren't you all lucky to be here And today? the kids don't know what's going on and they're confused and scared. Yeah. And eventually Takeshi kills two of them right there in the classroom, including one of them is the guy who, who stabbed him, Nobu, who he act, he shows, demonstrates the collar exploding. So yep. that kid's fucking neck blows up. Yeah. And that kid is the best friend of our main character, Shuya, who everyone wants to be or get with i mean he is he is the main character of an anime exactly he even looks like let me show you a picture right now of what the main characters in danganronpa look like and you'll be like wow that's that's him they might as well want to be his best friend all the girls have crushes on him even in the midst of this death game they're talking about this is the main character danganronpa yeah at least the first one and Uh then there's like the other one who I think looks even more like him. Like, this is just him. Yeah, he's just a... They have the same hairstyle. It's... Yeah, all the, all the girls want him. All the boys want to be him. It's it's fun. He's he's sweet. He's, a, he's part of the basketball team? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course he is. All of them are <laughs> basketball boys or little cheerleaders there for it. They keep getting flashbacks to that to show them. I don't know when that took place. I don't know if they only come to school to, to, to ball. To just play basketball. <laughs> yeah. Or if that was like prior to things going off a cliff, but. Hey, I want to talk to you about our sponsor this week, Fume. 
Perfume is a nifty little diffusive device that you can breathe all kinds of delicious scents and flavors through. We've been sponsored by Fume since their devices were made of wood, but now they've really upgraded and they have these cool metal mouthpieces that feel really nice to use. I personally don't really have any bad habits that something like Fume may help me to break, but I find the overall experience to be genuinely pleasant anyways. I've got my Fume with me right now, actually. It's super fun to fidget with. I don't know if you can hear it. There's a magnet and clicky bits in there that are really satisfying to move around. I also have the white cranberry flavor now and it tastes just like fall. You know how sometimes you smell a scented candle and you kind of just want to eat it? I don't know if that's just me, but this is basically the closest you're gonna get to that. If you've got a hand-to-mouth habit you're itching to break, Fume has served over 100,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Head to tryfume.com and use code DEADMEAT to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use code DEADMEAT to save an additional 10% off your order today. Yeah, the rules are explained. Everyone has to kill each other within three days. There has to be one person left. If there's more than one after three days, everyone dies. There are danger zones that will be announced. They'll announce who died every six or 12 hours, it's I like think. It's like Hunger Games. They get it's the very Hunger Games-esque. Also, everyone will get a pack, which will include some rations, some water, and a random weapon or object. Some people get a gun. Other people get a frying pan. Yeah, or a paper fan. A paper fan. Uh, my favorite is when the little Battle Royale girl pulls an axe out of the, the bag. She's demonstrating. She's like, ooh, someone very lucky got this one. Yeah, and you're like, oh, that's a... That's a lucky one because that feels like a pretty close range That's, weapon. Yeah. Uh, but then you see, you know what's interesting? Some, someone gets pot lid. I think uh, <laughs> Shuya I, gets a pot lid. I found this article from the Washington Post from 1981, which is interesting. Cause that's before, well before this. Yes, yeah. but it it shows that this kind of youth violence was steadily increasing even before the economic crash. Yeah. Talking about specifically schoolroom violence against teachers and i thought this was interesting speaking of these random kind of weapons that these kids are given uh this is a quote other incidents have been more violent involving 14 and 15 year old youths who have turned on teachers with steel pipes bamboo swords fists belts and toy model pistols i don't know just this random assortment of things makes me feel like that's part of why each of these kids gets a random thing because mm -hmm. these kids are all using such a weird variety of weapons to attack their teachers with and so okay here we're gonna give that right back to you yeah yeah there are nunchucks there is an uzi that's pretty unfair also a, a, an uzi with unlimited ammo that guy just fucking gets to fire I think that's at will. everyone's biggest problem with it when i was reading oh, really? reddit threads about this everyone's I didn't have a like chance to. this guy has he unlimited ammo fucking sprays and prays it's and he's one of the two transfer students so there are two older kids sitting in the back looking scary one of them's got blonde hair and the other's got a headband so the other they're... one looks like rambo yeah and so like these kids are like who the fuck are they and takeshi is like oh yeah i bet you notice them too they're experienced so have fun with that they have very different strategies as they're leaving when each number is called which is a great sequence because you get a little preview of all the kids who are involved and all of them are are imbuing so much character into the role that they're playing in how they approach and leave the room like some of them like cry and wave goodbye to their friends others like run and stumble as they're trying to get the bag because they're so nervous others kind of like steal themselves take the bag and run off and these two i think one of them like fucking sprints grabs a bag leaves comes back and is like 
this this isn't my bag. That was supposed to be for the person you killed, so give me this bag. Mm. And then the other is a very lackadaisical, like, slow walk, very uh, nonchalantly takes their bag and leaves. Yeah. So a lot of character work just in this little segment where you get to yeah. know all the kids who are going to get killed. Yeah, the two girls saying goodbye to each other is really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. The two best friends. You don't really see much of them in the movie, and I think it's to such great effect because you see them here, and then the only other time you see them is they've both killed themselves later. Yes. Uh, the movie does a a good use of flashbacks of like just little flashes to remind you what these characters were doing because there's so many. I think it's a class of 40 and they, they do have a little countdown. Like there's literally a kill count on screen of like yeah, number one helpful. character killed. There's their name. It's like text on screen. Yeah. In addition to Takeshi doing these announcements where he's like over the night, six people were killed and naming them uh, again, very hunger games. But yeah, a lot of these kids kill themselves right away they just don't want to do this yeah two of them jump off a cliff two of them hang themselves yeah um they are choosing to do that rather than try to kill their fellow kids others think that they can uh, form peace like two girls take a bullhorn and are like come meet with us we'll figure out a plan to get out of there they end up just getting gunned down shuya and nakagawa who are our main couple she kind of likes him he, I don't know if he likes her because his best friend Nobu, who got killed, he liked her. Yeah. So he agreed to like look over her for Nobu's sake. He mm-hmm. kind of has like a dream sequence where he sees Nobu saying that. It's a great dream sequence where a basketball is bouncing and it it's bouncing in the court and then it bounces higher than it just bounced. And I was like, that's not physics. And then I realized it was played in reverse. Yeah. Because like, it bounces all the way up it's to cool. like the rafters. They must have the other <laughs> actor who's sitting there moving backwards to pull that illusion off because you don't notice the footage is backwards at first. It's, yeah. It's pretty cool. It's, it's really cool. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, good use of like just a little sprinkling in of like, oh yeah, this was that character. Just mm-hmm. so it, it has more weight. Mm-hmm. Like you watch all these kids, you watch their numbers get called and them leaving. And then when Shuya's number gets called, you follow him out. And then we're no longer in the classroom. Yeah, we're in out in the battlefield. In case you weren't sure still who the main character exactly. was. Exactly. He's yeah. our transition out into, he's the first time we're actually completely outside of this classroom and on this island mm-hmm. where they're going to have to uh, be killing each other. Mm-hmm. And like right away, you know, one guy comes out with a crossbow and accidentally shoots someone because they're still not sure what's going on. But again, having a death happen right there makes makes it oh, real is right he the away. Very bumble- he's very bumbling. I can't think of another way to describe him. Yeah, I think Akamatsu is his name. Uh, not the kind of guy you want wielding a crossbow. No, he's the bigger guy, right? Yes. Yeah, he's like, he's kind of fumbling with it and, and accidentally mm-hmm. shoots someone else and gets shot. There's a girl named Mitsuko. Oh, Mitsuko. Around. I love Mitsuko. She's so fucking scary. She's very scary. Yeah. She's a, a Tarantino villainess, if I've ever seen one. Yeah. yeah. And, like, she's using her, her sex appeal, too. Oh, there's, yeah. This shows a shot of... I love this. The, the aftermath where you quickly understand what happened, where she must have seduced two male students... And killed them both very gruesomely because, wow, there's blood everywhere. Yeah, she is uh, one of the most ruthless characters. But you see later on she in pretends Flash. to be friends with yeah. other girls to steal their weapons yeah, and kill them. Yeah, just slit their throats with sickles and stealing their tasers and shit. Yeah. I think it's only in the edition that we her watched flashback, that flashback yeah. where it shows her as a little kid who her mom, like, sold to some guy 
for like drug money i think drug money yeah i mean she seems like she is zonked out on pills Mm -hmm. or something and but before this guy can like he's like telling her to take off her clothes and stuff and she's real she's like she's she's a little girl and this guy is like he he has like a barbie doll and Mm it's like look the barbie doll doesn't have clothes on or clothes on but it's it's disgusting gross but before anything can happen this little girl just pushes him down the stairs and kills, kills him. him. Yeah, breaks his neck. And so, I like, love that flashback of hers. Yeah. It's it, very um audition. Audition, yeah. she similarly has a backstory in that realm. Um and it's it's like she also is this kind of terrifying girl boss of a killer <laughs> whose way you do not want to fall into um, and uses her beauty and sexuality to to get her way. It just shows how Mitsuku was exposed to kill or be killed right mm-hmm. off the bat as a kid. And then there are also more flashbacks during the basketball game where she's, you see how she's on the outside socially. Mm-hmm. Like you would think that she would be like a popular, a popular girl. No. Popular girl. No, she's for whatever reason uh, removed. So that explains why she's running around. She's really interesting. Willing to kill people and, and survive. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how like not only is it just the straightforward nature of the death game, but when you're, you're reading all these old articles about Japan's economy and how the youth are dealing with the different ups and downs of the economy, suicide rates also spike. Yeah. And the amount of suicide you see in this movie, I think it's pretty analogous to, you know, younger kids just not being able to deal, whether it's getting into the job market and not being able to succeed or just being in school and it's too much. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not allowed to have a life outside of study and maybe there's corporal punishment involved or even just mental, emotional abuse. And then, yeah, literally kill or be killed. It's in the literal sense. But also you think of the way we talk about the economy, the job market, Mm -hmm. so many, you know, hustle business guys talk about kill or be killed like it's a good thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So Kiriwama, Kiriyama is the blonde transfer student who gets the Uzi. So he's like the scary guy. He is out there to murder. He has the highest kill count. He's so scary. He's like out of a Takashi Miike movie. Because at one point, a bunch of the other kids like, fucking kidnap him and they take him to a bluff and they're like where'd you come from man like what's your deal he just he just grabs one of their guns and blows them all down it's really horrifying especially when you know you've got the one girl student who's there with them and she's pleading for her life and he just oh yeah 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 he doesn't it seems like that where you're like yeah i can see why americans maybe wouldn't have wanted to watch this movie in the wake of Columbine. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to necessarily judge that decision. Because, no, no, no. uh, yeah, yeah, that was back when um, it was not as regular. Mm-hmm. I, I love this transfer student character, though. It's it's poetic that him and Mitsuko have a, a showdown because they're the two most sociopathic characters. They do. He ends up killing her, He kills her, right? her yeah. yeah which that's is near like, the end. In another life, those two could have been... <laughs> A really great you shipping them? scary couple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they could have been like crime bosses together. <laughs> the other student with the headband, Kawada, he ends up uh, linking up with Shuya and Nakagawa. Uh, he does kill a student who like attacks him. Yeah. So he's not like a, a pacifist by any means. But when he sees their weapons, when he sees that they have a pot lid and binoculars and that they are harmless, he does not kill them. Mm-hmm. He decides to let them live and uh, eventually links up with them and they become a little team. After he does tell them not to trust anyone. He does say that. He says, don't trust anyone. 
but this uh, guy's a great character. He's also also great. He's very mysterious, and then later you get to learn more about him. What I found interesting is that they have these collars that'll blow up. Uh, there is a team of three dudes who are like the tech guys. They they decide they're gonna hack into this yes, system. Yes, the hacker guys. And yeah, I think it's uh, Sugimura. I can't read my handwriting. But it's it's three guys led by one of them who are deciding they're going to hack into the system. They're going to shut it all down from the inside. And I found it interesting that it was a revelation when they're like, oh, they're listening to us. These are also microphones. Whereas nowadays, it's like, yeah, obviously they're, they're listening, listening to you. Sure. They're probably watching you too, but they're not. Like, they don't have cameras all over the island because this is 1999. They have, yeah, just tracking devices. Yeah, they only see them as as little beeps on a map mm-hmm. through the t- tracking devices, but they do find out, oh, God, there are microphones in here, too, so they can hear us. Um, so they, like, try to cover that up while they – he gives them a shopping list of all the fertilizer and other stuff. And to- I love that the two guys he sends out to get all that are like, what are we getting all this crap for? And it's like – can you not tell? <laughs> yeah. You're, you're going to make a giant fucking bomb. It's <laughs> so much fertilizer. <laughs> is it one of them who the thing he's given is the tracker? Or is that no, a different guy? That's another guy who's like, role I don't fully understand. He's because kind he's, of an enigma. He, he's, he's almost set up as like another main character, but then he disappears for a while because when Shuya gets like shot or attacked and jumps off the cliff into the water. It's this guy who like rescues him, takes him to the lighthouse, but then he disappears and he's just kind of gone for a while. But yeah, his weapon is a tracking device that lets him see where all the other students are. Arguably the best thing. You Arguably get, the best I thing. Think. Cause you can hide. You know, you can you can keep track of when dots disappear. Go there and see if they dropped a weapon. weapon or yep, something. Yeah. and and like get the jump on people to try to get a better weapon because people are obviously taking the weapons of other people as they die. But as a tracking device, I feel like that's that's the best one, man. It's pretty good, yeah. Because you can't they they said that you can't take off the collars or else they'll blow up. Yeah, which is also Belko experiment and other yeah, yeah. games like this. You can't tamper with that. But uh, yeah, I, I didn't fully understand his role. And well, I... he's the one who he is friends with the girl who's a runner. Oh, okay. So he's riding his bike next to this girl who like I think she's her. into him. She's in like a Kill Bill jumpsuit, right? Yeah. 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 I'm like, we're just gonna keep bringing. It's, up a, it's to... very Tarantino-esque. It yeah. Tarantino. Yeah. That's so. That's Chigusa is the writer. Uh, or the runner, the runner I'm sorry. yeah. And yeah. Oh, and Sugimura is the tracking device. He's not the hacker guy. I'm okay. Sorry. Yeah, okay. Yeah. They're friends. I think she's into him. Uh, but then there's this other guy who's into her, and this guy's creepy as fuck. Oh yeah. Horny boy Nita, I wrote. Yeah. He like uh finds her on the island and, and tries to like basically He threatens her with rape. Yeah. Because I think does he have a gun? I forget what he has. He might. Yeah. But she stabs him in the dick. Yeah. She, it's she pretty kills brutal. Him she bad. stabs yeah. him right in the dick. But I think she gets killed by Mitsuko. She does get killed then. by Mitsuko, yeah. Mitsuko, yeah. Yeah. I think she dies next to tracking device guy. Oh, that's like right. He's holding her. Yeah, he finds her. Yeah. So around the midpoint of the movie, our I'm just calling it Rambo, our transfer Kawada, student, yeah. Rambo Kawada. Yeah, he uh he basically makes camp in this little like it's not a house, it's more like a shed, mm-hmm. like greenhouse type situation. And our two main characters uh shuya and nakagawa nakagawa find him and that's where we get a little bit more backstory on his character ish he's very mysterious because he he 
makes them a bunch of food and they're like, wow, how'd you make all this food? And he says, oh, my dad was a chef. But then later he also says his dad was a fisherman and also no, it's uh he he like uh fixes up a wound and was like my dad was a doctor that's and right and then the end when they're on the boat they're like how do you know how to drive this thing he's like my dad was a fisherman yeah I yeah, love yeah. It. he's he's a total enigma it's yeah great. and by then he like says it with a smile like knowing yeah <laughs> and this is when he tells them that he had been in this game before he's, he's in a, a hunger winner. games like twist mm-hmm. he is a previous winner brought back to compete again yeah from three years ago and it had come down to him and his girlfriend. Yes. And I think she she betrays she betrays him. Oh, and so he had to kill her in order to win cuz she was going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah, that's fucked up. Yeah. So I believe I think she his girlfriend ends up betraying him and just out of self-defense he kills her, but then as she's dying in his arms, she smiles and she says, "Thank you," right? Yeah, and so his whole thing is like, "I came back here to Kill whoever's running this and to figure out what her smile meant. Yeah, like what? I hate motivation like that. Figure out what her smile meant. What? Huh? What? I think it's just. I well, hate it. I mean, they they kind of realize at the end what it would have meant. And I think it's just like she realized as she's dying that like he fully trusted her. Sure. If she got away with it and didn't get herself shot, she could have like that maybe could have allowed her to win is someone having that complete trust in her and maybe just realizing that at the end of her like that that's even possible I don't know yeah I would totally be okay with him being like and it tortures me that I don't know what her smile is about but he says it's why he came back to figure out what her I'm like you're not gonna find clues like you're not gonna be digging up on the island and be like oh that's why she was smiling I think it's more just getting to that place maybe emotionally or something okay yeah sure that's fine uh the blonde guy kiriyama who with the uzi turns out he signed up willingly yeah he just this. wanted to go he just and do this volunteered to do this so that shows uh how fucked up he is he finds them and he kills another guy and then cuts that guy's head off puts a grenade in that guy's mouth <laughs> throws and it in. tosses it into yeah. the cabin and uh, yeah, that that fucks him up good. That kind of separates uh, Shuya from uh, Nakagawa mm-hmm. and Kawada, who they they make a plan because Kawada's smart. He's like, if we get separated, we'll go meet elsewhere. But they do, in fact, get separated because of uh, Kiriyama, mm-hmm. who is shooting just nonstop, non just unlimited. He unlimited found ammo, a, baby. A cheat. He did like unlimited ammo mode or something. Definitely. Just, he typed yeah. that in. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Also, uh, Kawada's part of his backstory is that his uncle was like an old time fighter. He said he's still fighting in some corner of the world and that his uncle is going to blow up parliament. Oh, no. That, that's, that's not no, Kawada. That's, that's not the Kawada, hacker that's, guy. Yeah. Which is so, like, wait, I'm sorry. What? Yeah. It was like, <laughs> I was with you until the parliament. What? It's why he knows how to make bombs and stuff. Yeah. It's so great. It's such a weird little character detail. Yeah. I and I, I, I wonder if that's referencing a specific political Maybe that thing I'm that happened in Japan's with. past that we just don't know. Because, yeah, blowing up parliament uh, <laughs> usually doesn't succeed. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, historically, uh, never usually works out. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason. Yeah. She ends up at the lighthouse, which is its own little set piece that's great. 
It is. It was very memorable. I think it was one of the th few things that I remembered from my previous viewings of this. I was like, there's something at a lighthouse, Yeah, right? it's just this series of tragic misunderstandings where it's a group of girls who are taking shelter in the lighthouse, and no it seems shit. great. Three of, three of them are named Yuki, Yuko, and Yuka. No shit. <laughs> so they're all hanging out in there. It seems, they're like cooking for each other. They're playing fun. house. Like, if yeah. you're going to be anywhere in this shit show, the lighthouse seems like a fun little like slumber party they mm -hmm. got going going on but you know they bring a boy in there and one of the girls really doesn't trust him and she saw him uh accidentally yes, kill this guy when they like rolled right. down a hill and the axe wound up in his head so, so she, she doesn't trust killer. him so she it, i think it's so funny our captions call it pasta it's like ramen or something oh yeah but our very american was, captions are like pasta's ready girl i was expecting some spaghetti <laughs> yeah. it was not that oh no i think they do call it spaghetti it's like they call it like pasta and spaghetti and like it's clearly <laughs> not it's so funny but anyway she brings him some uh poisoned spaghetti well she poisons the meal that they're gonna bring up to him you go does. Yeah, yeah, but, it but that's when another girl walks it in. Doesn't and is like, make it to him. I'm so hungry. Yum, yum, yum. Blech, Blech. Throws up blood. Then it's like a Reservoir Dogs fucking like exactly. Raw point. All the no, no, no. This is such a Tarantino set piece, especially all of them screaming at each other and yeah, the pointing guns, and then all of them get killed except for the girl who poisoned the yeah. because she like hid under the table. So all of them are they shooting each other. each other. They all fall down dead, and then she like I think it's an overhead shot where she like creeps out from underneath the table yeah and she uh, throws herself off well she goes and lets shuya out and with like uh my bad and then throws herself off the lighthouse yeah another suicide in this uh situation yeah yeah it's a very memorable moment mm -hmm. fine he finds his way back to our main characters right or kawada and yeah there's also a line after all the girls shot each other from yuko who was the one who instigated it with the poison and she when she lets shuya out she says i forgot how much i liked all of them mm -hmm. which is a very sad thing yeah. of like oh they were my friends and mm -hmm. now they're all dead and then she kills herself yeah i love all the little emotional moments in this because they really stand out because the movie is just so over the top that when you get little beats like that, they hit really hard, I think. Definitely. Yeah. That's what makes something like Danganronpa work too because all of it is so kind of silly and dumb and over the top. But every once in a while, there's a thing that happens. There's an emotional beat that like, oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After a while, uh, Kiriyama, like we said, he finds Mitsuko, kills her after that backstory. The hackers succeed in hacking in yeah they shut down the the big computer brain of the island pretty much yeah and so all the the defense forces are freaking out um takeshi lost track of all the students he takeshi keeps his cool and just reboots it you know so just unplug it plug it back in mm -hmm. you know wait wait like 30 seconds at least <laughs> yeah yeah, plug yeah. It back in. but uh the hackers at kiriyama ends up finding where the hackers are and right as they're loading that bomb up to go blow shit up and he shoots them all down that bomb explodes. Yeah. It's a big explosion. The hackers are dead. Yep. So now it's just down to uh, the four. Four, yeah. Um, the two exchange students and then uh, Shuya and Nakagawa. Mm -hmm. I forget. How do they kill the the scary exchange so student. the explosion kind of blinds him and yeah. then him and kawada have a shootout he hits kawada doesn't kill him right away and kawada shoots his uh necklace You're, and it blows right. up and his head blows up it's pretty fucking cool yeah that's right that's good right. way for the big villain to go out and then I guess secondary villain uh kawada 
turns on our main characters and he says I told you not to trust anyone and because this whole time he's been telling them I have a plan to get us out of here I can't I can't say what it is I'll tell you when the time's right Mm -hmm. and this is the the plan to get out is he's gonna just kill both of them and he wins and he leaves but it's then revealed uh so what it it looks like he shoots both of them it sounds like or at least it sounds importantly to the people in the command center it sounds like he shoots both of them and they hear him say fuck you guys and their neck pieces go offline yes so to everyone in charge it looks like there's just one dot left and yeah and the troops are like should we go check and uh Takeshi's very sad his favorite girl didn't win. And he's like, no, just whatever. Just go home. I'll handle this. Yeah. So all the troops leave and he's just I waiting. think he suspects too that maybe they're still alive. I think so. Because uh, Kawada shows up at the base where only Takeshi is now. And he, Takeshi like says, you hacked it, didn't you? And so this was a little confusing to me. I read that apparently uh, Kawada had hacked the system prior to the game yes, even beginning it confused me too yeah so i guess like the hacker the group of hackers aren't actually the ones who hacked i guess I not yeah i i can't remember how it plays out in the movie if there is willful uh misdirection for the audience to make us believe that the hackers did it or if it just happens and we assume that the hackers did yeah. it but in any case it was kawada who fucked with the system and also found a way to uh make the the necklaces go offline for Shuya and Nakagawa. Mm-hmm. So they are still alive. Yep. They show up. So it's it's the three of them and Takeshi. And he reveals his wonderful mural his, yeah, his of uh, his uh, favorite girl. Yep. And he wants her to kill him uh, because he, we saw him have a phone call earlier from his daughter, his daughter. Who yeah. fucking hates him. Mm-hmm. He's estranged from his wife. This, this is a sad man. It, yeah. He's got nothing left. And he tells Nakagawa to kill him and she doesn't. And so he pulls out a gun, and is it Shuya or Kawada who who does he shoot him? Shoots him, I forget. Yeah, but he gets shot, and then the, another darkly funny moment. He, after he's shot and lying there dying, he reveals it was a squirt gun he pulled yeah. out, it's like water that he has. And then he's he dies, but then his phone goes off, and he just gets up off the floor and goes and answers it, and it's his daughter. Mm-hmm. And I think he's like, I'm not coming home. Yeah, and then, then he, he dies. actually dies, yeah. It's a very surreal moment that I don't fully know what to make of, but I like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So then, yeah, the three of them uh, escape off the island, and Kawada even says, you know, it's going to be really hard from here on out, and... I get the, the the end is it's our two. Well, he dies. Oh, yeah, that's boat. right. Kawada yeah. dies. Yeah, yeah from, his, from his wounds, his injuries, and that's when he says he realizes what he understood what her smile was about and finding people you could trust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so he dies, and then yeah, the, at the end, I'm glad I found a true friend. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Then the two leads, uh, just I guess live a life incognito forever because they're super wanted. Yeah, we know. Like there's there's even a little graphic that comes up on screen of their wanted posters. Wanted and, for murder. Uh, wanted on suspicion of murder. They grab the knife that uh, was used to slash Takeshi back in the day that kicked this whole thing mm-hmm. off because she kept it. And uh, I think they're trying to get out of the country maybe because they're headed to a, a railway station or maybe just go to a, a more remote part mm-hmm. of Japan. But probably going to be hard for them. I wonder if it's followed up in the sequel or if it's just an entirely different, different group of people. That's interesting. I didn't yeah. think of that, like what the know. sequel would even be. Mm-hmm. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Battle Royale. That's Battle Royale. It's a fucking classic. If you haven't watched it, you definitely should. It's really good. And 
it it was interesting reading Reddit threads about this movie and so many people, I think maybe who are watching it now, like more recently, were saying that they were surprised that this was such a classic because the tone was so weird. It is weird. and But that's what why it's so good. Yeah. This it movie's wa- not nearly as iconic if it's not so over the top. Yeah, and it's not like it was a big hit here. It, it was successful in Japan. Yeah. I saw that it like... Uh, <laughs> I saw that they said, wow, this movie's making money that usually only cartoons make. And I was like, oh, their box office is way it's different than different. ours, huh? It's real Because <laughs> I think uh, when it came out, it was only topped of the year, maybe, by a Pokemon movie and okay. a, uh, uh, what's his name? Miyazaki. A Miyazaki movie, I'm pretty sure. Miyazaki. So two animated films. That's funny. Here. Yeah, it's different. <laughs> I mean, I guess... Here, animated films are also amongst the highest grossing films. Yeah. It's just the, the phrasing fra- of it yeah, was funny. Phrasing yeah, phrasing is very, very funny, <laughs> but definitely worth a watch. Yeah, and just know that, like, I remember when Hunger Games came out, and I had already known about Battle Royale, and I was like, oh, so it's Battle Royale. And I remember mm-hmm. being shocked at how many people didn't know Battle Royale, and of course they didn't. Like, I was a fucking weirdo. Yeah, we, weirdo. Were, we were movie nerds. Yeah. Of course, we knew Battle Royale. And, They're yeah, not going to know this Japanese movie that was banned in the U.S. for a Hunger decade. Because Hunger Games came out when we were in college, right? Yeah, it, I think Hunger Games came out when uh, this still would have been banned, maybe. Or right after right it after, got, like, I U.S. Think. distribution. And it's not like it opened wide. It was just like, here, art houses, now you can play this. Mm-hmm. And we can sell the DVD here. But, uh, yeah, I, I remember that influenced my enjoyment of Hunger Games because I yeah. was like, I've seen this before. I still liked Hunger it, Games. No, but. it's it's interesting because, like, Hunger Games, I I was listening to the audiobook of the first one recently because I like to listen to audiobooks of things I've already read while I'm trying to sleep because I don't have to mm. pay attention. Mm-hmm. And, like, hung, it, it's, like, the same kind of setup, but they're talking about totally different things. Yeah. Because Hunger Games is so class-based yeah and that's, and that's not, not really here that's not no. what this is doing really not at this all. is generational stuff mm-hmm. yeah. yeah but i'm glad we could talk about it i'm glad that uh it was one of the uh growing list of unstruck films that we can discuss a lot like i said a lot of foreign movies that we can get into and uh if you want to hear more thoughts on movies subscribe to the patreon because we do stuff on that like commentary tracks yeah and also now we're doing a once a month bonus podcast episode that is about whatever it, it's not horror it's just about whatever we feel like doing yep and we played a fun game this that i ran that james ran and that gressel participated it was me running a game for chelsea and gressel so if you want that, head over to the Patreon and get the special Patreon feed podcast. It was a game involving 90s alternative rock bands. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. <laughs> and I had a great time doing it. And that'll be a monthly thing where it's just the uh, I know people have said they like the Hangout podcasts where we just talk about whatever. So that's what this is. Uh, every month for patrons. Yeah. So check that out. Yeah. Social media, Dead Me James on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And I'm Carebeck, C-R-E-V-E-C-C on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want merch, deadmeatstore.com. Sorry, Seasonal stuff so just arrived. Some yeah, Halloween, Halloween stuff. A little stuff. Halloween bag, a Lucy pin. Yeah. And Lucy, our lovely cat who disappeared from the podcast room because of this little coconut baby. Yeah. But... Uh, they're getting a little, they're getting better. They're getting there. It's always two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes Lucy lets Molly smell her butt. And yeah. that's progress. Those are 
good days. Thanks, Gresso, for recording this, as always. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Yeah, until next, next time, time, this has been... Oh, no. Oh, I'm James. Oh, yeah. This is Molly. That's Molly. <laughs> I'm Chelsea. And this is... <laughs> <laughs> ah, this has been a Demi podcast. <laughs>